today, I actually really want to just chat and talk to you about some things that I feel like God has been showing me and saying to me that I think is really important for us as a church to know and important for us to get. And I've got to the point where I believe it's actually their foundation. And if we do not do this, then everything else we do is really, 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 really hard. Um, but it's something that you've all heard before and so that's really a Christian thing to say. And it's all about actually trusting God. Because I believe if we do not trust God, then when we actually step out and try and reach out to people, if we don't have that firm foundation that says God is trustworthy, that's where fear can take over. But when we do trust God, then when we step out, we can say, boy, I know that God is trustworthy. So even if this doesn't go well, he's still there for me. If we want to have our identity in Christ, we have to actually trust him to say, yes, what he says is actually true. And it's when we question whether he's, what he says is true, then we question when our identity is. We question who he says he is. We question whether his promises are yes and amen. But if we have the foundation of God is actually trustworthy, then everything else actually flows out of that foundation. So, who is someone in your life that you would say you trust the most? Have a think about it. Who do you trust the most? Anybody want to tell us? Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a really good friend. I would say that even in a room this size, there may be some of us that actually find that question hard to answer. So there may be people in this room that go, who do I trust the most? especially a person, there may not be someone that you go, yep, that person is the person that I go, that's trustworthy. And how tough is that? That is an awful place to be in. When you don't have someone that you can say, yep, that's the person that I trust. That's the person that I can go to. That's the person I can tell things for and I know they're not going to pass them on. But not just in this world, but we live in this room, but we live in a world where trust is actually really, really hard. And because really there's two types of people, I think, there's probably more, but if you round it up, there's two types of people when it comes to trust. There's those who I will trust you until you show me I can't. And then there's those who say, you need to earn my trust and then I will trust you. So I am, I'll trust you, until you prove otherwise. But that's because my life experience tells me that more often than not, people are trustworthy. Because I actually have a family, I have a life that actually, I have more people that I can trust than more people that have hurt me than I have to be wary of. And I, But I know that that is a very, very privileged position to be in. There are lots of people that because of circumstances, because of what other people have done, they find trust really hard. And so instead of saying, hey, Kate, I'm gonna tr- I trust you, and so you have my trust, and then if you do something that breaks it, I probably will give you a second or third chance because that's just my <laughs> nature. But there'll be other people who'd be like, okay, Kate, I will just watch you. I'm happy to be friends with you, but we'll, we'll wait until I trust you. And then I'll trust you a little bit and see what you do, and then we'll see if we can build up some trust. And that's because so often not, people actually let us down. And when people let us down, it impacts on the way that we interact with other people. So if you 
have a parent who was not trustworthy, that would say things that would break promises, that would do all that kind of stuff, then it's really hard for you to trust adults because you relate, well, an adult, is tr this person who's meant to be trustworthy isn't, so why would I trust you? Who are you to be trustworthy? And it makes it really hard. And then when it comes to God, that makes it a whole lot harder for people. Because for people like me, it's easy to trust God. Because my experience says more often than not, people are trustworthy. And so because of that, I can trust God. Trusting God is not that harder a step for me. But for others of us who actually don't have an experience of people that are trustworthy, when it comes to trusting God, boy, that's even a harder step to take because he's not even present. How can I watch him from a distance and know that he's trustworthy? Like, what can I do to show that he's trustworthy? And that's where we actually come in. Because we, as God's ambassadors, we can actually show that people are trustworthy by our actions ourselves. So by us being trustworthy, we can actually say, I'm trustworthy, and you know what? Who's even more trustworthy? God is more trustworthy. And that's more that can be more believable for people than if we're not trustworthy, but we say, hey, you can't trust me, but you can trust God. Does that make sense? And I think it's really important for ourselves to know where do we actually fit are we someone who's always looking for someone to prove to us that they're not trustworthy? Because there's people that live that life that are looking, I have to protect myself because of circumstances. I have to protect myself so much that I'm just waiting for you to let me down. Because I know you do. I know whoever you are, even if I've only just met you, I know you're going to let me down because that's what my experience has said. And because my experience has said that I'm going to, watch and wait and then when you do something that lets me down I'm going to go yes I was right all along fuel I'm so glad I didn't trust you because it's a whole lot easier to be wary than to trust and have it broken again and so we're in a really interesting position where we can actually show people that the God is trustworthy by actually being trustworthy ourselves and I think that's something that we need to remember out in the world, that it's really hard to trust God if you can't trust people. And so for us, even in this room, if you can't trust people, it's even harder to trust God. Now, once you get to know God, sometimes it becomes easier and it switches and it becomes, God is the only one I can trust and all of you, like, you are the problem, not God. Do we like, and people, get to, people can get to that point where, boy, everybody else I'm wary of, but God, he's the only one. But for lots of people, it's, well, if I can't trust you, how can I trust God? And the problem is the church as a whole has done a really, really, really great job at proving itself not to be trustworthy. And so people go, well, if, I, if you're a representative of God and I can't trust you, if you're representing God, then <laughs> who on earth is God? And so it's a really interesting position, this whole thing of trust. And what I have found, especially over the last five months, is that trust and feeling like you can trust someone can be the key to actually being able to learn, actually being able to, to change, being able to grow, to be able to listen, to like, if, you, if you're always weary, think about it. And, and if you're not in this position, think about always wondering when the next hit's going to come. 
even if it's not literally, but figuratively. Always thinking, I just have to hold back here because I know that you're going to break my trust. I just don't know when. And the tension that that creates and the heightened sense of being that that creates, they actually say that with um, people who are always having to be wary, even their whole body becomes like stiff, like their shoulders go up more and their brain is always working because they're always just waiting to be able to bolt or waiting to be able to fight or just always alert. And they can never actually rest because they're always too heightened. And what an awful place to be, to always have to be watching and wary. And when it comes to God, don't even try to, like, talk to me about God if I think that I can't even trust a person. So the person I'm talking to, if you're telling me to trust God, I can't trust them. So what's the point? So it's a really interesting thing to think about when we're dealing with people outside the church, but even inside the church. If you can get an understanding of where, how easily they trust, it actually can give you a really good starting point to know, well, where, where do we actually, what do we need to build on here? Where do we actually need to go? But what about us? How is your trust of God? Are you someone who says, yep, God is completely and utterly trustworthy? Or are you someone who says, when life is good, God is trustworthy? But today, I don't know. But the fact is, God is actually trustworthy or he's not. It's either one or the other. There's no, he's a little bit trustworthy here, but he's not trustworthy there. Because that's not how God actually works. And so this is when I was going to get one of the kids to come and help me with the story of Joseph. So, who thinks they know the story of Joseph enough that they can come and give me the highlights? But I'll help, the, I'll help you. Who wants to be that Joseph highlight giver? Okay, Rube, come on up. Does anybody else want to come up too, or Ruben? Yeah, Beck, okay. Oh, the Thomases, thank you. Are oh, you going to come up too, Ethan? Okay, well, the, fir- the first question is, which book of the Bible do we find the book, like the story of Joseph? Genesis. That is correct. Nicely done. That's the only real question. So what, we want, what I want you to do is tell me like the highlights of Joseph's life. Okay, and I'm going to stop you and ask you a question every now and then, okay? So, beginning of Joseph's life. Uh, it doesn't have to be that detailed, but just, you know. He was born. <laughs> uh, his father gives him a coat. Cool. How many brothers did Joseph have? Twelve. He did actually have 13 because of Benjamin, but that's a whole different, like. Tell me about this coat that you mentioned. He was the best son because he was the first son of his favorite wife. So uh, he favoured Joseph, so he gave him this coat. And his brothers were all jealous that um, his dad favoured him. But how do you think Joseph felt in that moment in terms of him and God? I'm not really sure. That's okay. Okay, Ethan, what do you think? I think he uh, trusted God because uh, of uh, him uh, being able to interpret dreams uh, just in general. That is cool. So we have a guy who's like... Got a really cool go- coat from his dad. And not only that, tell me about the dreams. Uh, the dreams, first dream was like something to do with the stars. Just, give, just tell me the dreams in general, okay? okay give me, give the it dreams in were in representation of further on when his 
brothers would bow down to him because he's like a leader, one of the higher up in Egypt. So, and when Joseph had these dreams, what did he actually do? Uh, he went to his brothers and told them about it, and his brothers didn't like it. Yeah, thanks, Rube. You can sit down. So we have Joseph in his younger days getting like the fav being the favorite son, getting a code, having dreams from God. So God's actually speaking to him really, really clearly. He's so excited. And I think we can pretty much say that his trust in God was pretty high. Like if you're hearing from God and God is speaking to you so clearly, the fact that you can do that, that give that helps you to trust God. So we've done the dream thing and then Joseph's dad says to him, Hey, Joe, brothers are all hungry. Take your food for them. Do you know what happens next? They, when he goes to um, give them the food, um, they throw him down a well to sell him afterwards once they find somebody to sell him to. So the brothers see Joseph coming and go, wow, he's coming. This is our chance. Let's throw him down a pit. And one of them thinks, oh, I'll come back and get him later. But then some people come past, and so they so they sell him. And what do they do to prove to their dad that Joseph is dead? They kill a goat and um, put its blood on the coat and rip it up, and say so he's gotten attacked and killed. Yeah. So have a think about this. Your brothers grab you, put you in a pit, and then after putting you in a pit, they go one better and say, you know what? We're going to make some money out of you. We're going to sell you to these people. Who knows where you're going to end up, but we don't really care. We're just going to sell you to these people. You're going to end up in Egypt, and we've got some money for you. And not only that, we're going to tell your dad that you're dead. How good is trusting God then? Eh, it's still good. Depends where you end up. That's true, but we don't know where we're ending up. I don't know if Joseph would find it that easy. You're in a pit... Then being sold into slavery by doing nothing wrong but telling people what God said and then you end up in a pit and end up being sold, I think that whether or not God is trustworthy would actually enter your mind. God, what on earth are you doing here? Then who did Joseph end up with? Potiphar. And was Potiphar a good boss or not a good boss? In between. In between? What makes you say in between? Uh, he ended up throwing them in jail. Oh yeah, 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 but like just as, but before he gets thrown into jail, yeah, he's a good boss. Yeah. So Joseph ends up at Potiphar, and Potiphar is a pretty good boss. And so Joseph actually seems to be doing really well in Potiphar's house. So again, oh God, you've actually made something turn out good. So now you can be trustworthy again, because things are doing okay now. But then, tell me about Potiphar's wife. Well, Potiphar's wife wanted um, to sleep with him and then when Joseph said no, she started screaming and her, her, his, her husband came and threw him into jail. So Joseph is doing nothing. He's actually doing the very right thing. He's saying, no, I'm not going to dishonor my own. I'm not going to sleep with you. I'm getting out of here. And for his really good trusting God, like following what God wants, he ends up in jail. For doing nothing wrong, he is in jail. If you ended up in jail for doing nothing wrong, Beck, how would you feel towards God? Irritated. To say the least, I would say. Thanks, Beck. Okay, Ethan. 
We're in jail. So what happens? Two of the servants uh, from Pharaoh's uh, house uh, also get thrown in jail. One of them is a baker and the other's his butler, uh, in this sense. They both have dreams. Joseph interprets their dreams. One of them ends up getting killed uh, because uh, in one of their dreams, the bakers, he gets killed. So uh, that's uh, how uh, his uh, plays out. The butler gets a re his dream says he'll be reinstated, and he does. Joseph uh, requests uh, that the butler remembers him uh, when he's out of uh, jail. Yes, yeah, seven years later, the butler finally remembers him when Pharaoh's having his own dreams that he misinterpreted. Yeah. So think about that, okay? So again, Joseph is hearing from God. God is with Joseph. There's no question about that. I'm getting dreams that I can interpret. Like, if you were Joseph, you'd be like, boy, God, you and I, like, we're close. And not only that, I'm helping other people. How fantastic. But he does this. And so surely, you, if you were Joseph, you would be thinking, fantastic, God, this is the way you're going to come through for me. Like, you are going to be here for me now. I've interpreted these guys' dreams. The cupbearer is going to go. He's going to get out. He's going to see that my dreams are true. And, like, within weeks, if not days, I'm out of here. You are going to be so good, God. And he would, like, you can imagine him going, God, thank you. Like, I can't wait to get out of jail. Like, you've come through. You're so trustworthy. I'm so pleased. And then a month goes past. And then two months go past. And then six months. And then years. And then years. And as Ethan told us, seven years later, after hearing from God, knowing that God's giving you this power, giving you this gift, you've used the gift for other people's benefits, and you're still where you're not even meant to be in the first place. Like you've done nothing wrong. And seven years, and then finally you get remembered. I don't think it takes much to realise within that seven years, your trust in God would probably waver at least a little bit. So seven years later, the Pharaoh has dreams and no one can interpret them. And they ask all the wise people in Egypt and nobody can do it. And finally, the cupbearer goes, oh, hey, just remembered someone who saved my life or told me that my life was going to be saved. Like, he's in jail. He might still be there. Who knows? But, like, he interprets dreams. Maybe he can help you out. So Pharaoh sends for him and Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream. And by Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dream, Pharaoh says, I need someone wise to actually make this happen. We're going to have famine and we're going to have plenty. I need in our plenty time someone to come and take all the grain so when there's famine, it can be distributed for the people so the people can actually last. And so Joseph gets taken, like there's Pharaoh and then there's Joseph. He pretty much becomes the second in command. And he gets all these great things. He actually marries the, one of the Pharaoh's daughters. Like all these great things happen to him and he like gets people to save grain when they're in plenty and then when they're in famine he can he helps distribute them and his family way off finds out that Egypt has some food so his family comes gets some food goes back comes back lots of things happen if you want to read the story end of Genesis will give you more detail than what I'm giving you now but in the end Joseph gets reunited with his family 
And the Pharaoh says, oh, I actually even give you some land. Like that's how much I am so pleased with what you've done. Here's some land for you. So Joseph and Jacob and all the brothers and all their families and all their things all get to move to Egypt and be saved through the famine. And at the end of Genesis 50, the very end of Genesis, there's a verse that my dad in particular loves. And it says, you meant to harm me, but God actually meant it for good. And Joseph could look back at his life and go, wow, if I wasn't in Egypt, if I couldn't have interpreted this dream, if we didn't keep all the food in plenty, my, my family would probably have starved. So God has actually used all these things to benefit not only me and my family, but all of Egypt and lots of other people that would have come to Egypt. But Joseph did not know that. And the thing I think that we can forget when we read the Bible stories is we know the end. And the majority of us know the end even before we've read the beginning. Some of us read it for the first time. But lots of us have heard it from Sunday school or just from people mentioning stuff. And we go, oh, yeah, we know that the Egyptians get out of Egypt and they walk through the Red Sea even before we've actually read it for ourselves. But Joseph didn't. When Joseph was the favorite son having dreams that people were going to bow down to him and his family was going to bow down to him, he's like, wow, God, this is amazing. This is going to happen. I can't wait. When he's in the dungeon and like in the pit and being sold to the slaves, he's not saying, oh, it's okay. Don't worry. I'm going to, I know the end of the story. He actually does not know it. When he's in jail for something he did not do, It wasn't even I was in jail for something I did do, but I repented and God's going to restore. He did nothing wrong and he's in jail. At that time, I'm sure, as all of us would, he would have cried out to God and said, what about that dream, God? Like, you promised it. What's going on here? This does not make sense. This is not the... I don't know if I can trust you. This is not the way it's meant to be. And then, oh, God, you finally come through. These guys, I've interpreted their dream. They're going to go to the palace Phew, thank you, God. I'm so pleased. Praise God. He's going to come through for me. Days, weeks, months, years go by. And we know that we're seven years. When it's six years and, you know, 11 months, Joseph doesn't know that, and who knows if it was exactly seven years, but, you know, Joseph doesn't know that in one more month it's happening. He just knows it's not ha- it hasn't happened. What I thought God was going to do, he has not done. And will he ever do it? Will he ever do it? And he does. And we know that he does. And we know that God uses it for good. But in the midst of the pit, in the midst of being sla- like sold into slavery, and he could have been bought by anybody. Like he just happened to be bought by a Potiphar who actually was a kind master. But not all masters were kind. He actually did not know the ending when he's going through all of this stuff. And the thing that we should take out of that is not that, hey, how good is the ending? But God was still trustworthy even in the midst of, I don't know know what you're doing, God. In the midst of the pit, in the midst of being sold into slavery, in the midst of being in jail, in the midst of hearing from God, but still life is not how it's meant to be, in having these dreams 
when I'm a kid and then all that takes place before the dream actually comes to be, God is still trustworthy through it all. And when I googled trust God, it's interesting all the little things that come up. But most of them all come up and say, God is trustworthy and he will make it work out well for you. I actually don't think that's a biblical principle. There are people that we know, there are people in the Bible, you may be someone yourself who trusts God and life has not happened the way that you think it should. And it has not got anything to do with the fact that you have not trust God. It doesn't have anything to do with the fact that God is not trustworthy. It's got to the fact that we live in a world that is not perfect. And we live in a world where things are going to happen that are not by God's design, but happen anyway. And in the midst of that, God is still trustworthy because he either is or he isn't. And if he's only trustworthy when things are happening the way that we want them to, if he's only trustworthy when we're like interpreting dreams and being told that our brothers are going to be bowing down to us, and he's not trustworthy in the pit, well, he's actually not trustworthy. It's either one or the other. And we need to have a firm foundation that says, my God is trustworthy. And I'm going to believe that when things are going fantastically, but I'm going to believe it even more when things are not. Because God is still trustworthy. And I'm going to pray and I'm going to hope and I'm going to hold on to the fact that God said, for all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. And that all his promises are yes and amen. But actually that might mean that I am not going to see what I hope to see. Because the Bible does not say, even though people try and tell you it does, the Bible does not say, trust God and everything will work out the way that you want it to. And I'm sure we could have testimonies of people saying, life has not worked out the way that I want it to. And I'm hoping that God, I'm hoping for that, you meant to harm me, but God turned it out for good. I'm holding on to that and that's what I'm praying for and that's what I'm hoping for and that's what I'm having faith in and that's what I'm trusting in. But there are people that get to the end of their day and go, life has not happened the way that I hoped it had. My God is still trustworthy. And that's the kind of church we want to be and that's the kind of people that we want to be. To not base our trust in God based on the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Because if we do that, circumstances change. And today, trusting God's easy. Tomorrow, not. My mum and dad taught me something when I was quite little and I was sometimes good at doing it. They taught me that when things are going well with God, that's when you want to dig deep, deep roots with him. When, when there's nothing else banging against you, that's when you want to be reading your Bible, that's when you want to be praying, that's when you want to be supporting people and, and building community and doing all that kind of stuff so that when all you've got to do is, st- is, is stand, when you're at that point where you've got to just hold on and, and know that God's holding you, you've got the word of God in your mouth and on your heart. You've got people that are actually journeying with you because you've journeyed with them. Like you actually, when things are going well, it's easy to go, oh God, I've got it. Like you and I are cool, we're not going to, we don't need, and when it's tough, that's when we go, oh no, I better pray. When sometimes it's so hard to pray when things are tough. But if, when life doesn't have those waves that, you know, the Bible talks about, when we can like stop and say, boy, at the moment, there's nothing much that's, that's banging for my attention. That's when we want to dig into God even more and have roots and foundations that are strong. So when the wave does hit, 
we bend, but we don't get, we don't collapse. Because if you only try and like build when the wind and the waves are coming, you're going to be able to build, but it's a whole, whole, whole heap tougher. God is trustworthy. And the Bible tells us time and time again that his promises are true. That his promises are actually, what he says in his Bible is actually stuff that we can hold on to. And we can hold on to it in the good times and we can hold on to it in the bad times. And it shouldn't be dependent on circumstances. Our trust of people, as I talked about early on, often the way that we trust people has got to do with the way that we, our circumstances and how people have broken trust or have not broken trust and how that actually works. You know, I've got a girlfriend who would tell me that all guys completely and utterly suck because her experience is that they do, that they cheat on her, that they hit her, that they're actually not very nice people. And so I said to her, mm, not all guys are that way. She goes, oh, yeah, if you've got a good one. But Matt's the only good one. Well, no, he's not the only good one. Like, but you can do that. You can take an experience from one person and magnify that out to be everybody and magnify that out to be, well, God. And if God was really trustworthy, wouldn't my life be the way that I want it to be? It would if sin never entered the world. If we were still in the Garden of Eden, if like even Adam hadn't, you know, eaten the apple and God had to go, we can't keep like this, then yes, that's how life would be. But until Jesus returns, this life is never going to be the way that we always want it to be. And if we don't understand that, we are not going to understand who God is and we're going to question and doubt who God is in the midst of the wind and the waves that come. In kids' church, we've been doing parables this term. And if one of the kids were here, I would get them to tell you the parable of the wise and foolish builder, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. The wise and foolish builder, both of them built. One on rock, one on sand. Both of them had the same things happen to them. The winds and the waves, the circumstances of life came and knocked down. The only difference was one of them heard the word of God and did what it said. The other one heard of the word of God and did not do what it said. And the one that didn't, didn't last. The one that did, did. It's a really, really short bit of the story. But the point is, if we do not have a foundation that is strong, when waves come and they're going to come, thinking that they're not going to come, if anybody preaches they're not going to come, they are actually, it's not biblical. So I mean like it just, it does more harm than good, thinking that life is always going to happen, even if we follow God perfectly, even if we could, which we never can, stuff's always going to happen. And we see that in Joseph's life. You see that in people in the Bible's life time and time again. Just because things are not going well does not mean that God has deserted you and does not mean that what you're doing is not right. It may mean that, not that God deserted. It may mean that there's some consequences for actions that we've taken, but it doesn't have to mean that. And that's a really, really big difference. But how fantastic to know that our God is always trustworthy. And how fantastic to be people and be a church that work out of that fact that God is trustworthy. Because it does, it makes things so much easier. Because we know God is trustworthy. Even though I go talk to my friend and they tell me that I'm an idiot, I can still trust that God's got me. I can still trust that he's with me. The Bible tells Joshua to be strong and courageous because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. 
He doesn't say be strong and courageous because God's going to just make everything perfect for you. And it's when we understand that and we understand that God is trustworthy even when things are not how they're meant to be and he's trustworthy even when they are when they're meant to be, then we can actually walk out in confidence as a church and as a people because we actually have a foundation of trusting God and not a foundation trust on circumstances or the way that life is or isn't treating us at the moment.